So growing up for me in a Korean household meant that I am very familiar with feasting. <laughs> I don't know how your households were growing up, but for me, uh, I have a lot of memories of the ways that my house was always filled with people and with food. There were ways that our house became a gathering place for different events and different groups of people, whether it was family gatherings or church gatherings. Um, my dad used to play tennis with his friends, so sometimes he'd invite tennis friends over. There would always be people at our house, um, especially on the weekends, and I still remember how when things would be, uh, when, when there would be a dinner or some sort of event at the house that you know the kids would have to go around cleaning the house on Saturday morning and my mom would be up you know from early in the morning cooking all day long for for preparation for the people to come i actually tried to find a picture of um one of the meals held at our house and this is actually not my house but but this is one example of just a family gathering where there was food this is our new year's gathering um, a couple years back, and this was actually at my cousin's house, but there would be spreads like this with um, just bowls and bowls of food. Uh, everyone gets their own bowls of rice and, and soup, and there's all these plates out, side dishes out, what they call Korean panchan, and different main dishes. And um, So there was always this culture of feasting in my family where people who came into your house, they, uh, they were honored guests and they got to experience this feast that has been prepared and it would take time to prepare it and it would be this generous extension of hospitality and love and, um, and just care poured out through food. And the two images that I, I remember are these tables, these tables just covered with food. And, and the other thing I remember specifically is um, the front door because our house our house wasn't super big, but you know, there would be just groups and groups of people who would come and in Korean culture, in Asian culture mostly, um, you take your shoes off, right? So the front door, I remember that the doors would be, um, kind of the entryway would just be covered in piles of shoes where everyone would come in and, and take their shoes off. And, and these images to me, this, this entryway filled with shoes and these tables covered with food uh, were signs to me of hospitality, the ways that my family and my culture ex extended uh, grace and hospitality to others and basically said, when you are in our house, you are, you are part of us, you are our family, and we will give our best to you. And so hospitality is in my DNA. It's in part of my family and culture and experience. And this morning, we are concluding our sermon series on the values of our church and we are ending with the value of radical hospitality. Um, and I've been thinking about this value. It, it, this, this is some of the text from our website. I'm not gonna read, I'll just leave it there. But I've been thinking about this value of hospitality and why this is an important value in our church. And even for me thinking about preaching this sermon, I realize it's a gift and a privilege to be able to preach a sermon on hospitality because hospitality is something that I've experienced in my life in many different forms, both in my family and in my culture, but also in my experience of who God is and how I think about faith and how I think about the heart of God. Uh, I have come to a place of understanding that our God is a God of welcome. Our God is a God of family. Our God is a God who hosts us generously and, and provides for us, us this amazing feast and says, all are welcome, come, come to the table. And this is what hospitality is about. 
And in today's passage in Luke chapter 14, we actually have this image of a banquet, this parable of a great banquet. And uh, this banquet, this, this parable of a banquet teaches us a little bit of what hospitality, what God's hospitality actually looks like. And in the Gospel of Luke, for those of you who are not familiar, there's um, one of the main themes is this theme of reversal. From the very beginning, uh, we see this image kind of in Mary's song in the beginning of Luke of how the high are brought low and uh, those who are on the outside are brought in. There's a constant reversal of who is honored and who is not. And um, Luke really shows us the ways that God's kingdom is an upside down kingdom. The things that we expect, the things that we would um, know to be true based on tradition are reversed and turned upside down. And, and, and God's hospitality in some ways is like this. And in the, the sections leading up to today's passage, we, uh, in Luke chapter 14, there's this very Middle Eastern scene where Jesus, who is a traveling teacher, a rabbi, uh, has been invited in. He's traveling from village to village, and he's been invited into this dinner party. <laughs> and in these dinner parties, uh, when a rabbi would travel from town to town, the leaders, the religious leaders of that town would have a chance to question and to sort of examine this religious leader. And so Luke chapter 14, uh, at the beginning, it says, you know, Jesus was invited into this dinner. And we see here that there's a sort of confrontation with Jesus and the Pharisees. And in the sections even leading up to this passage where he tells this parable, there's confrontations. Uh, in the beginning, he actually heals a man on the Sabbath, which was a very controversial and sort of thing you don't do. Um, Jesus actually healed a man on the Sabbath and confronted the religious leaders about their understanding of Sabbath. And then right before this, he, he actually calls out some of the people at this dinner party and basically says, hey, look at all of you trying to take the seat of honor. <laughs> Don't you know that actually if you want to be honored, you should take the lowest seat? And he really challenges their understanding of um, what it means to be at the place of honor and how to get to the place of honor uh, in this passage. And then we come to this banquet and Jesus actually tells this sort of parable of this banquet. Um, and in these verses, Jesus is actually drawing on an important prophetic image. The, the religious leaders of that time, the Pharisees would probably know that there were these prophecies about uh, this great feast, this great banquet that was to come. The, the image of the great banquet is something that's familiar for them. Um, and so if, um, if these Pharisees were hearing Jesus talk about a great banquet, they would actually be thinking about their understanding about um, these prophecies. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 25, there's a very famous kind of prophecy about the end of all things when there would be this great banquet of aged wine and the best meats and the finest of wines and, and how this feast of rich food would be for all people. It would be for all the nations. And there was this promise and sort of prophecy that when God makes all things right at the end of all things, it would be like a great feast, a great banquet. And this prophecy was important in the, in the Jewish community. And yet over time, the, there was a kind of constant changing of interpretation of this prophecy. And so in this, in this kind of community of the Pharisees, there was a transformation of that prophecy into something else. 
And one of the, the texts of that time that they might have known um, actually transformed this image of a great be uh, great banquet for all people, this feast for all people. And, and it got kind of um, narrowed down. It became really exclusive. This vision became exclusive. It became uh, only for the pure, only for the honorable. Um, it became inaccessible. And actually in the Essene scrolls, in a religious text of the time that the Pharisees would have been familiar with, it actually says, and no one can attend the banquet who is smitten in his flesh or paralyzed in his feet or hands or lame or deaf or dumb or smitten in his flesh with a visible blemish. And so we see how the, the religious leaders of that time, the religious leaders who were at this dinner with Jesus would have had questions. As, as soon as Jesus brings up this banquet idea, they would have questions about who is invited to this banquet. Um, is it this vision of all peoples that Isaiah 25 says? Or is it this sort of more exclusive understanding of only the purest of the people, only the most honorable, only the most religious, only those who are sort of most um, in accordance with the law are the ones who are welcome. And so Jesus is addressing this question. And, and in Jesus's parable, he transforms and reorients, he turns upside down the understanding of who the banquet is for. Uh, there's two interesting and important things to note about the banquet. <laughs> um, in this story, he tells, you know, he tells this parable um, about this, this host who is throwing a great party, a great banquet. Um, this was something in that culture people will be familiar with. And what would happen in that time is that when you say you're going you're to have a great banquet or whatnot and you invite different guests, it's sort of like our system today where you have to RSVP. So people would basically say, yes, I'm going to come. And based on that RSVP, the, the host would pre prepare, um, prepare the amount of food and would know like how much meat do we need to have? How much food do we need to have? How much wine do we need to have at this banquet to make sure that everyone has their food? And so in this story, when the guests um, start coming, when, when the, the host says, hey, you know, the banquet's ready, come. And then people start making excuses. This would basically be um, a really, a thing that doesn't happen. It's sort of like if, if someone was hosting a Super Bowl party today and you're like, I'm going to come and you show up at the house and you're there sitting in their living room as they're you know preparing all the appetizers, they're getting the wings ready, they're getting the dip ready and all that stuff. And they're about to bring it out. The game's about to start. And then you say, oh, actually, um, I got to go, uh, you know, do this thing. <laughs> it's, it's not just that they were like saying they weren't going to come. They were like, at the brink of the party, all the preparations had been ready and made, and then they started making excuses. The first one told him, I bought a farm and must go and see it. Please excuse me. Which you know is an illegitimate excuse because in that time, buying farmland was a very costly, very lengthy process, and you would examine everything before you do it because farmland was not um, very... Uh, it was rare. It was hard to find, buy farmland. And so you know that this, this excuse is not a legitimate excuse. Another said, I bought five teams of oxen. I'm going to go check on them. <laughs> Again, similar thing where it's like, uh, you wouldn't buy oxen without knowing if they're okay, right? So um, you know that this excuse is not a legit excuse. And another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Uh, <laughs> I was doing some research and, and some of the commentaries were saying that this is kind of an actually vulgar thing to say because there's some sort of 
innuendo or sort of implication of oh I just got married and so I have some business to go about with my uh, my new wife um, and it was actually something that would be sort of dishonorable that you wouldn't say in a setting like this in in um, sort of a proper setting you wouldn't bring up this thing of I got married um, and it's dishonoring both to the host and to the wife and so one by one, they all make these excuses. This, this party is ready. The host has invited folks to come experience this great feast. And, and they basically are um, insulting the host. It's a slap in the face to the host to make these kinds of excuses. Almost to the point where maybe it almost feels like this sort of conspiracy where all these people came explicitly to shame the host. And so what happens? Uh, the host actually gets angry. Um, the passage says that the host gets angry about this. And yet from this anger, you know, the host could have said like, screw it all, I'm just gonna shut the party down. No one gets to experience this feast. I'm gonna just eat, eat this nice meat for the next week, you know? Um, but that's not what the host does. From the place of anger, comes um, this tremendous outpouring of grace where the host uh, says actually no like my feast is ready this banquet is ready let's go out and make sure people come in to experience the feast um, and so one uh, the the host sends the servant out to go get people to come into the party people come into the party and then there's still room even still um, and specifically, it's important to note that the, the folks who are invited to this party are the folks that in the original prophecy that we saw earlier that were excluded, um, the lame, the poor, the crippled, the blind. And while this language might seem a little ableist or seem a little harsh, it, it was just a sign and reminder, these are the people who shouldn't be at the party. These are people who in society were seen as unclean, seen as dishonorable, seen as those who should be on the outside. And yet those who are on the outside are brought in. Urge people to come into my house so that my house will be filled. My feast is free. My house needs to be filled. People need to experience the goodness and the grace and the bounty of my feast. And through this image, Jesus is radically challenging the Pharisees' understanding of who is welcome. Normally at these parties, the, the goal of these banquets would be to bring honor to the host, to say, oh, I'm going to bring the most honorable guests in so that I can get more honor. And yet in the kingdom of God, the host is generous. The host is gracious. The host is hospitable and says, no, it's not about me getting honor. It's about me bringing those who are cut off in, bringing those who are on the outside into my house because my house must be filled this feast must be tasted. My bounty must be experienced. This feast is for all people. Hospitality is free, not just for those who can repay. And there's always, there's always more room at the table. And this is good news. This is what Jesus wants people to know the banquet is like, what the kingdom of God is like. And this past week, as I was reflecting on this sermon, as reflecting on this image of the banquet and God's hospitality, um, I was struck by um, this sort of gift that I received in this past week. Uh, this is a stole that I received 
from some friends. Um, my, one of my friends, when during my commissioning, kind of had this idea to put this stole together, um, and it was a project that involved a lot of people. My parents provided the fabric. Um, multiple people stitched it together. One person embroidered it. One pe one person stitched it. One person came up with the concept and the design. It was a sort of communal effort. Um, but on the stole, there are two Korean words, kajok and chong. Kajok is the um, the word on the top in the sort of blue, and that actually means family. Uh, and to me, as I was thinking about my call to be a pastor and what even my experience of faith has been, the idea of family, this concept of kajok has been so important to me because in a lot of ways, I feel like God's hospitality is expressed in a reorientation of family where family is no longer just your blood. Family is no longer just your birth family. Family is actually uh, this chosen thing that happens through the work and ministry of Jesus Christ. That through Christ, there is an inauguration of a new humanity, a new family, uh, where all peoples can can come together in, in sort of in this uh, beautiful, diverse family um, of people from different places, different backgrounds, different realities. Uh, different races, cultures, spiritual orientations, political orientations. And, and so God's hospitality is partially in bringing birth to a new family. And this other word, chong, on the bottom, it's a, it's a hard word to explain in English. It's sort of this Korean um, word that it, it, it's, it's just, there's no like English equivalent. Um, some I, I, I've polled a bunch of my friends this week. I was like, how do you translate Chong? And some people said, it's kind of like uh, kinship. Um, someone said, it's kind of like solidarity. Someone said, it's a sticky kind of love where you, you cho you're chosen into this kind of love that you cannot um, just choose out of. Uh, one person said, it's committed affection. Uh, another person said, it's just, um, and it's basically an expression of um this deep interconnectedness to another person um, or another community. And so Chong is, is this expression of committed affection, of solidarity, of love. And that also to me is this expression of God's hospitality, where God chooses, commits God's self to, uh, to humanity in a way where we could have and should have been cut off from God. And yet God chooses in. God embodies this sort of solidarity with humanity and says, I want to sacrifice myself to exist in this loving bond of, of interconnectedness, interrelationship with humanity. There's a book that I read um, from a Korean feminist theologian named Wonhee Anjo, and um, she talks about this concept of chong. Oh no, it's not there, but I will read this quote. Um, and she says, Jesus embodied the practice of Chong in his ministry. His radical living out of Chong is found in this extension of love to those who should have been cut off. His practice of Chong is what leads to suffering and death on the cross. Jesus is unwilling to transform the world through exclusion, but rather through constant self-evaluation, chooses to transform the world through Chong this committed affection, through this um, connectedness to humanity. And as we think this morning about the banquet table of God, as we think about this um, parable of the banquet, I, I see how there's these expressions of family and Chong in the story. 
of, um, you know, you would think that these people who are originally invited to the party should be the ones who get honor, should be the ones who are in, should be the ones who experience these sort of familial kinship relationships. And yet the people you would expect are the ones who are actually put out because they choose out. They choose out of the goodness of God. And, and, and Jesus in expression of hospitality and love and, and generosity um, welcomes in those who are cut off. And as we think about the table of God, as we think about the house of God, as we think about the church, we know that there are people who have been cut off. We know that the LGBTQ community has been cut off due to prejudice and harmful theology. We know that spiritually questioning or skeptical people, people who don't fit into our neat boxes of faith, they've been cut off. We know that people who've questioned or become uncertain or doubting of their faith have been cut off because they're seen as too critical or too angry or too doubtful. Thank you. We know that those who um, are disabled, um, those with disabilities may be cut off because there's ways that the church has been inaccessible to them. We know that people of different ages are cut off. Maybe there's ex exclusion because you are young and you're, you're a child and you're seen as burdensome in the church. Or maybe you're old and you're seen as irrelevant in the church. Um, people are cut off because of their age. People are cut off because of their race. And we know that certain communities, especially communities of color, have not always been welcome in church spaces because of their racial background. Um, and in the midst of all the ways that people throughout history and society are cut off um, on the outside, the hospitality of God says, no, you are welcome in. You are welcome to this feast. You are welcome at the table. You need to be compelled. You may doubt that you are valued. You may doubt that you're worthy. You may doubt that you have a place at this table. And yet I say to you, the feast is for you. The table is set and ready for you. Come, come and experience this beautiful, generous, gracious feast. And that is the hospitality of God. And so I want to say to us this morning that no matter who you are, no matter where you are in your journey, no matter who has said no to you before or how much or little you have to bring today, that you are welcome, that we want to be a church. Our vision is to be a church that says always, no matter who you are, where you've been, where you come from, that you are welcome. You are welcome in the midst of your stress. You are welcome in the midst of your grief and loss. You're welcome as you question your faith and you try to figure out um, what your belief system is after you've deconstructed it. You are welcome as you try to um, reclaim your faith and theology from things that have been oppressive. You are welcome even in, in the face um, of rejection by society or even by the church. You are welcome when you felt cut off or labeled unclean or unworthy or welcome. You are welcome even when you feel devalued or like your life doesn't matter because of the color of your skin, or the size of your bank account or your age or your background. You are welcome in the midst of your isolation, your loneliness, your anxiety, your depression, the ways that you feel separated from others or cut off. Jesus says, welcome, welcome, welcome. God welcomes you. The feast that is set is for you. God's hospitality is free. You don't have to pay it back. You're not invited so that you can invite back. You are invited in a free manner 
where there's no reciprocity demanded, that you're just invited to experience and taste and see that God is good. And there's always, always more room at the table than we think. As the Spirit of God compels us, may we always be a family that feasts together. May our church, Bethel Community Presbyterian Church, as we express the radical hospitality of God, continue to welcome people in as family, compel them to join in the banquet with us, as we too experience that welcome and goodness for ourselves. Amen? Amen.